0: All right, guys. So um, my name is Hunter Branson. I'm the Polk County Young Republicans Vice President.
1: If you guys would like to introduce yourselves, what positions you hold, and you know what kind of responsibilities you have with the ACC.
2: Sure. Um, My name is Lily Mall, and I'm the Southern Southern Regional Director with American Conservation Coalition. Um, I'll be up front and say I'm I'm not from Florida. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, but I do love Florida, (laughs) if that counts for anything. I'm really excited to be here with you guys tonight. Um, One of my responsibilities includes leading the grassroots program in the Southern region, um, and that does include Florida as one of my states. And um, what we do is we essentially Encourage and equip young people to talk about environmental issues from a conservative perspective. Beautiful. Awesome.
0: Zach. Uh, my name is Zach Abnett. I'm Texas State Director for the American Conservation Coalition, and I work here in Texas. So, unlikely, I have our individual state here. Um, I do love Florida, though I don't reside there myself. I work out of Austin, Texas. Um, even though I grew up in Dallas, Texas. Um, and like Lily, I help with the grassroots effort here in our wonderful, beautiful, large state of Texas. Um, I also make sure that ACC is able to build partnership with like-minded organization and other groups, whether it be DYRs here in Texas or the Conservative Energy Network or other groups that see the value of a partnership uh, with ACC. Um, and I help us, get established whether it's at a university level or a community or through a young professionals chapter like how YR's function uh all throughout the wonderful state of texas so uh that's kind of my role and it's a it's a, it's a role that i'm proud to be part of and i get to work with incredible people like Lily.
1: awesome awesome i do have to give one little second of smack talk you know Florida Gators took care of Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, they, oh, yeah. You I've write. been
2: waiting. I've been waiting. I was like, I have a feeling somebody's going to make a comment. It was not our best day, I will say. Um, we are playing, I guess, UT San Antonio this weekend. Um, mm-hmm. Going to that game, and I, I, I hope that we have a, a better outcome than we did this past weekend.
1: Zach, you better hope one of your Texas teams holds up against Tennessee, huh?
0: Well, Texas so far is undefeated against the SEC. So hopefully UTSA holds up there when they play out. <laughs> but I'm a I'm a proud uh, Horn's fan right now. So I, I am more than proud of their record and how well they're doing. And let's see how well they will do once they get inside the SEC. So looking forward to for that.
1: We're all excited for that. Awesome. Well let's get into it, guys. Um so basically all what I want everybody to know is to have a good little baseline of what the ACC is. So What is the ACC, what are the goals of the ACC, and where are you guys at right now in comparison to where you started?
2: Sure. I will start us off and talk about what we do at ACC. Um, So we talked about it a little bit, but essentially we are a nonprofit that is dedicated to mobilizing young people around environmental action. But we do things a little differently. Um, Other groups might take maybe more of a left of center approach. But what we do is we actually use market based and limited government ideals to further our mission. ACC was founded in 2017. So we're about six years old now. And quite frankly, it was just a group of millennials who realized that there was a pretty big gap in terms of the environmental movement. There were other groups that Cared about the environment, but they didn't necessarily address some of the things that um, ACC hopes to address. Um, We've grown pretty significantly over the last, I guess, six years now, and it's been really exciting to see that growth. We have branches all throughout the country, and those branches are the groups that are responsible for doing local action events, think very community-based cleanups, um, hikes, getting people outdoors to experience the environment. And we also do educational events as well where we teach people about clean energy, maybe innovation, um, how business and the environment can go hand in hand.
1: Love it. And then at the grassroots level, how does that look? I don't know, Zach, if you wanna take that because you're a lot more local.
0: Totally, so at the grassroots level, you know, people, members of the ACC, whether they be activists or just local community members, uh, engage with the local branch They get out and do some of the events that Lily spoke to but politically they they might engage with their local representative um mayor whether it's at the city council level or even their congressional uh their congressman or even senator to to nudge them towards the right direction on acting or even talking about the issue of the environment and conservation and better care for our surrounding areas um and you know, we've noticed that that mission has worked well for us, um, whether it be in parts of Texas, parts of Florida, throughout the South, or other parts of the United States, um, ATC members get active in their local politics and engage with their elected officials to show them that one, they want the one point that they care, but specifically they care about conservative action on the issue of climate change. Awesome. Awesome. It
1: well, it's good to see you guys are growing and quite rapidly at that, you know, it's, it's cool to see within six years where something can start and go to and uh, where it gets to. Um, so in saying that, I uh, did a little bit of research on you guys on your website and poked around a bit. And um, I saw some things that were kind of interesting. I want to talk about with you guys. So one of the kind of numbers that you guys had on there was between the 18 and 30 age group, uh, they're showing that they aren't happy with the way the nation is headed. Um, and about 50% Fifty-three percent believe we are headed in the wrong track. Knowing that or stating that, why would going into a climate change climate change conversation be beneficial to conservatives when they disagree with a climate change-heavy government? Essentially, this government is very green, you know, Greenpeace, tree hugger type thing, um, you know, Green New Deal. And if people aren't liking the way we're going, why should conservatives, Republicans, any you know this, that, and the third care so much or want to know or learn about this?
2: Yeah. So um, I'll start with that question and let Zach add some points in. But I think one of the things we've noticed, especially at the grassroots level, is like the polling we've done has mentioned, young people care about this issue. The reality is that we're losing young people to this issue. Um, The reality is when I go to a college campus and see people in that 18 to 22-year-old range, They are very, very, very concerned with the direction we're heading when it comes to climate change. And the left has controlled this narrative. Um, That's the reason ACC was created because we have to have an alternative or we're going to continue losing this age range. Um, I think we've got a really unique opportunity to pull a seat up to the table and have a discussion about what works. We have seen conservative values work in a variety of different areas and policies. So why can't conservative values work when it comes to climate change? It's not a controversial issue. We're not trying to say that the world is going to end in 10 years. Um, We might take a little bit of a different approach than some of the other groups who do believe that, but I do think we have the opportunity to address that. What can we do now as young conservatives in this movement to decrease emissions, produce clean energy, Take, get rid of permitting reforms and, and, or I guess, go through permitting reform and break down some of those barriers for some of these projects. And we don't necessarily have to do it with a, a heavy handed government approach. We've got the tools and we've got the ability to do it from a conservative standpoint. And I think we've got the responsibility to take back that narrative.
0: Absolutely. I think Lily hit most of it there. And the one thing I would add is you said how Conservatives don't like what the size and scope of government has come to. And with us not being able to engage on this issue and kind of writing it off as something that the left is automatically going to win on or win voters on in the past, you see the prevalence of really bad policy on the issue of the environment, which also touches other subjects, you know, the cost of living for Americans, the cost of energy and other very other things that are you know on top of priority list for a lot of conservatives and Americans in general so us not engaging on this issue and saying kind of leaving it to these sides saying that it's going to lead to the size and slope government is actually going to help the problem persist so both electorally and just do better about the environment in general because I I, I think it's 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 easy to, it's good to say that most people generally care about their local environment whether it's clean world clean water us engaging on it, it's going to be good for us on hitting other priorities and making sure that we're also winning our tools so yes kind of
1: yeah, an interesting point of view because um you made lily you made a really good point there where conservative values and policies work in other aspects and in other avenues per se so why can't it work in this Um, I usually run across this issue, and I feel like a lot of conservatives, Republicans, run into this issue where we come to an environmental group, and the first thing they hit us with is, you Republicans, you conservatives, you whatever it is on the right, you guys don't care about the environment. And what I find is I've never seen a right-wing politician ever say they want dirty water, they want dirty air. You know, they don't want their kids to have a clean environment to live in. They don't want, you know, they want oil spills everywhere on the ground. I never hear anyone saying this. So, you know, in saying that, you know, another thing that came off the website was a lot of people said that the GOP doesn't care about climate change. And in saying that, do we, do you guys believe, or do you see that there's a trend that the GOP doesn't really care about the environment? or is this kind of like a facade that gets thrown onto us like a big old blanket that they you know they throw another name onto us
2: um i definitely i definitely can see how people believe that
0: mm-hmm. i'm not
2: going to i'm not going to pretend to say oh that's that's crazy i can see where they've gotten that narrative but i think what we're seeing especially in 2023 and 2024 as we look at the presidential um, race. I think we're seeing that's that's actually not the case. That's not true. I think actually Florida is one of the best examples of this with Governor DeSantis mm-hmm. and the record investments he's made in the Everglades. He has a chief resilience officer in his governor's cabinet. I mean, we've got people, we've got Republicans that are leading the GOP party where they very clearly care about the environment. In Tennessee, um, our governor, Governor Bill Lee, has um invested heavily in nuclear, we have people that care and we've actually got people that are not just caring, they're doing something about it. Um, I think that our responsibility as American Conservation Coalition is to increase that knowledge and to, to point people to examples of what has been done and what people are doing today. And we've also got the responsibility to encourage other people, um, whether that's local politicians or people up in, in D.C., We've got the responsibility to to point them towards the right direction and give them things that can work. And I think when we do that, they'll also have a very, their, their chances of capturing that young audience is, you know, makes a very large difference for their, their and it, f- elections. And,
1: and and for us as young Republicans, our goal is essentially to, to grab as much as youth and mobilize, educate them, elect them. It, it, the whole goal for us is, get as much of the youth possible involved in politics because it does involve them. But what I tend to see is, and you guys have also stated this, that you either have extreme leftism or they see it, everything as inactivity, so inaction. And what, what I tend to have an issue with is on the policy level, and I think a lot of conservatives can run on this, is that if we wanna put in some type of conservative bill, and or conservation bill, sometimes something that's environmental, like nuclear, which is a big thing for us. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, we get these bills loaded on with a bunch of extra red tape that has nothing to do with environmentalism. Has, you know, it's extra taxes, it's extra, it's extra something that usually always come on the left in forms of the EPA, in forms of regulatory. So my question is, how can you expect? the Republican party or conservatives to want to even play ball if we can't even come to the table with the left? We don't even have an opportunity to just say, hey, let's talk about just this when every single time a bill gets pushed along with extra baggage. How do we how do we combat that? Or how do you expect the GOP to say, okay, we'll sit down and talk about it?
0: I think I can kind of speak to this briefly. I think a place where we can start is actually pointing to some thoughts uh, wins on this issue. Uh, it may not be covered as much by the media, but the Great American Outdoors Act is a little bit of an example. Passed in 2020 by a Republican Congress, signed into law by a Republican president Donald Trump. That was the one case where it was, for the most part, a clean bill that provided record investment in and, and some of America's largest national parks. Places uh, that were really getting overwhelmed because of their popularity in the moment, but they're not being enough funding and coverage to account for that. But to your question about how do we do it now when we see other bills coming out of Congress that have so many different things attached to them, like Christmas trees with decrements on them. um, I think one way we can do it is, and this is what ABC has tried to put the effort into doing on a larger basis, is really take the issue of the environment out of our our current um, political environment of fighting about one thing or another kind of making sure that when we're talking about the environment, that it is something that it's clearly, hey, this is one issue that we can kind of not fight on. This is one issue that we can come to some very simple agreements on to do right with. And we have enough things to argue about, but we can kind of get some really good wins on this issue alone. And some of it can, some of it are wins that actually meet other conservative priorities, like permitting reform, as Olivia has spoken to already. But I think that's one approach that ACCS working towards and that we've seen worked for uh, in the past with again, the Greater American Outdoors Act and uh, other bills that I would love for, for us to see. Well, if you want to add to
1: that.
2: Um, I think Zach really covered a lot of the points here, but I will say one of the biggest things I think he mentioned is the idea that we've got to get back to the basics. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the environment, we don't have to make it a political issue. We need to look at what works which, you know, I'm a conservative, so I might say conservative values, but I do believe that we've got the opportunity to do what we call common sense solutions. And that doesn't have to be political. That doesn't have to be partisan. I think it should be bipartisan. I think we should look at that. And when we break down these issues to a very localized common sense perspective, I think we'll get rid of a lot of that fluff. And I know exactly what you're talking about because I think we've seen it, um, a lot lately. But I think when we when we really get down to the basics of what matters, and maybe when our politicians do too, we'll have the opportunity to make make a real change.
1: I love it. Uh, What do you guys see that is probably one of the largest roadblocks in policy that makes the bipartisanship the hardest? I mean, we obviously always talk about just party lines, you know, Republican versus Democrat, the libertarian left, libertarian right. What is like the main barrier for bipartisanship in this issue? Because the youth seem to care about it on both sides.
0: I think part of it might be just this idea that still persists that Republicans aren't willing to get serious about this issue or talk about it to an extent that many on the left like. because you know what we know about American politics is there is kind of a hard base on each side that may not be happy with working across the line to solve some issues that the vast majority of Americans want solve or vast majority of Americans want action on. So I think that's part of the equation, um, and I think Republicans are heading in the right direction with action and talking about this issue. I mean, the debates come to mind and having a question, particularly about dangerous climate change. Uh, happened in the last uh, debate. But I think politics is playing its, its role in that and hopefully you head in the right direction. Um,
1: so uh, one of the things that you guys have already kind of mentioned, but also it's on your web's website, and I've seen Benji talk about this a lot, is innovation, capitalism, you know, different ways for you guys to actually change the system and in conservation especially on the on on the right wing so capitalism holds a strong value for you guys and innovation does too how does capitalism fit into conservation how does it fit into the environmental blueprint
0: i think a good place to start is um some of the really good solutions around and uh, one that I can immediately point to here in Texas is some of the really good solutions coming out of the free market and emissions reduction Um carbon carbon capture is a technology that comes to mind. This isn't something that's government funded or something that came out of government research. But people in free markets that are actually looking to solve a particular demand by the market itself and seeing that there is money that can be made in this field. and. Uh, Funny enough, uh, a lot of the investment that came into the creation of carbon capture technology came from the energy industry, understanding the fact that for them to play a role in the markets and providing a service to Americans in the long term, that they need to kind of cut down on the emissions that come from uh, energy production. So seeing that there was money invested in carbon capture technology, and we're actually starting to see the implementation of this type in in energy extraction plants, whether it be natural gas plants or oil drills, um, and I think that's one instance where capitalism is playing a really positive role on the issue of climate um, change. Other ones that I love pointing to is there are companies here in Texas and other parts of the country that are actually meeting a demand for the remo- removal of plastics and waste out of the oceans, because this is one issue that's kind of present and visible to m- many Americans and many people around the world. and instead of waiting on the government to kind of fund the project that was going to remove these plastics. um, Certain companies popped up that are able to do this and meet a demand and actually get some really good coverage by the public and the media around their service on this issue. So um, those are just a couple of examples. But uh, capitalism definitely does have a a role to play here and it can play a leading role in actually doing good for the environment, but also providing good jobs, decent services to Americans as well.
1: Now, uh, I, I will say when we when we take government and we decide to mix it within the private sector, what I always like to go to as a good example is the military-industrial complex. So essentially, we have all this private military or contracting, and it's way blown over on on overhead. You know, we're talking about hammers that are three, four hundred dollars. a freaking hammer. These got you know guys are out in the in Humvees in Iraq trying to use a four hundred dollar hammer on a two-cent bolt or a nut, like the expenditures that we have are absurd so my question to you guys is in bringing in the the capitalistic nature in the private industry how do we keep because we already have large government overreach with the epa how do we keep the cheap clean energy that we're trying to you know that's the goal how do we keep that cheap because we see in other industries it goes right through the roof once they get a couple of key players. Those are the guys that kings and they run the whole industry. How do we keep that down? Because I think mean, that's where people really win on the energy and the clean part is it's cheap.
2: Yeah, um, I I definitely agree with that, that issue and, and that topic of it needing to be cheap when we talk about energy. And I think one of the things we talk about at ACC is this idea of an all of the above approach to energy. Um, we don't think the government should favor one industry over the other. We think that we need to look at all of the industries and how it works together. Because the reality is something that's good for one area might be terrible for another. Mm-hmm. I think that's just part of the landscape of the United States. Um, Could you have of, an example of that? Yeah, that? well, um, Zach and I... In Texas, I think one of the examples is is windmills. I think we've seen that the wind farms work for Texas, Um, but there's probably other areas of the United States where that's not going to be the case. Um, I think that's a good example of that. Solar is another example of of maybe it works in Florida because you'll have, well, you're the sunshine state. But I don't think putting a solar farm up in Seattle might might solve some of our, our country's energy problems. But when we look at how all of these pieces can fit together for the greater good, I think we'll have a better chance of keeping, well, not keeping, of making sure energy prices are low. And I think that's what, as conservatives and and with this capitalism approach in mind, I think we, we recognize that because we at ACC do not go to Texas and tell Texas to shut everything down. Whereas I think the government might, as, might have, you know, recently might as well. had that approach. We don't believe that's the case because we also recognize that when you do that, you're actually harming the lives of, of people um, by obviously increasing energy costs. So yeah. all I have to say is we've got kind of this unique idea where we can use all of the moving pieces to increase our energy production while also keeping it low. We don't believe in government overreach. We believe that government can help regulate, but they don't need to overregulate. And we think that when you bring in free market businesses whose priority is to make money with the correct amount of regulations, you'll have um, success when it comes to the energy industry.
0: Beautiful. And if I can
2: go ahead, go ahead. Yeah.
0: Sorry, if I can add to that quickly, the beautiful thing that you see about a uh, policy and all of the above is it really kind of limits government involvement in the energy markets. And what we've noticed over the past few years is when the markets and certain markets, whether it's Texas, Florida, the Northeast, New York, like those markets tend to choose the thing that happens to be cleaner, but that also provides the most reliable, cheapest form of energy for that specific region, right? With the Northwest, you have a lot of uh hydro because you have rivers and it naturally works for that area and happens to be clean. In Texas, as Lily spoke to it, we have solar and wind. Uh, Texas is a very hot sunny state and over the summer we noticed that solar actually did really good for our state. in keeping the price of energy relatively low because it was a very hot sunny summer that ended up working for us. And that was due to our policy of taking this all of the above approach and not particularly demanding a specific source of power. So, the nice thing about it is it, it's good for the consumers, it's good for people, but it also happens to be good for the environment because we notice these things work where they work best. And oftentimes it requires little to uh, no involvement from the government and often kind of limits government as a region, government tipping the scales of, uh, uh, of demand towards one power and the other. And if I can also now when, we,
1: speak, when we speak about government, I hate to cut you because you're off, but I want to be very clear about what we're talking about. We're talking about federal government, right? Because right. the state governments, as you pointed out, Tennessee is doing nuclear. Florida with the Santa's is cleaning a lot of things up. Texas, they have their solar, their solar and wind farms. The state can handle itself. I, yeah. I don't think that those powers should be able to go up to the federal level and cut off as much, you know, ability for us to innovate and create new options for our, yeah. our, our citizens. Um, so in saying that, Where is the place in the EPA in all this? Because for a lot of conservatives, it's cut it out, it's done, they don't serve a purpose anymore. This is a state problem, this is a state issue. How do we navigate that? What are your guys'
0: opinions on that? I'm glad that you brought this point up because I wanna go to the first part of your question and saying like, you know, states have the ability to do this because, you know, the closer government is, the more likely that it is gonna be responsible, right? The further away it is more likely like costs are overrun that there's lesser accountability and you know the, and this is why we speak to kind of conservative leadership on this issue because conservative states have actually had a much better record on the environment take tennessee for example this really state and how they've really approached nuclear with the right mindset you know you have states like vermont who chose to close down their nuclear power plants and go more towards Renewables with the hope that that was going to going to meet the demand of what that state needs, and you have cases where their emissions actually immediately skyrocketed because that reliable source of energy, that uh, nuclear power was hand- given to the state, was kind of removed from the market. Uh, and then to your, the second half of your question about EPA's role in this, my personally speaking, I think the EPA can have a limited role in which it can guide States and provide certain resources that maybe the States, uh, environmental agency is not able to handle. Uh, there are some, there is data that we get from federal agencies that, that we are able to collect because it is a federal agency, right? Emissions, certain environmental impacts, they really don't care about political boundaries or, you know, which state that thing happens to be. So there is kind of a limited good role that the EPA can play through guidance or, uh, uh, providing of data or resources or you know certain technology that maybe the federal government is able to haul uh, at a limited capacity. Uh, but that's that's kind of my personal take on it there. And I think that's that's an approach that can generally work for us. And that we have seen work to an extent over the past 50 to 60 years existence of the EPA. And now we to your point, I think we have seen some cases where maybe the EPA does overstep a, a troll and touches on issues that it really could not have. Um, kind of control over or should, really shouldn't be messed with to begin with, but that's kind of my decision. I mean, there's farmers
1: in you know the Midwest where there's a little puddle and they find a mosquito and they're a frog, you know, endangered or whatnot, and then they can't plow their own field. And I think to a certain extent, that's what a lot of the overreach. Now, it's one small, maybe extreme example, but that's where the overreach comes from. Lily, I'd love to hear your opinion on, you know, where they fit in.
2: Yeah, well, I think I echo a lot of a lot of what Zach was saying. And I definitely echo the point that states know what their state needs. I think we've we've seen that over and over again. And I think quite frankly, we're we're seeing these progress, these progresses that are being made in those conservative red states where we have leaders that are not afraid to to address some of these issues, but they're not also willing to give up some of their values. I would again would just echo with the point that you know there's a balance the federal government is not a bad thing until it becomes a bad thing um yep. we we've got we've got the responsibility there with our federal federal government to lead some of these discussions that that works sometimes that's not an inherently bad thing but when we have these overreaching regulations and people getting into very localized issues that don't live in the area maybe they're located mm-hmm. in in DC, um, no hate to my DC friends, mm-hmm. but I think that um, you definitely miss the mark on a lot of things. Um, one of the examples I think about when it comes to energy and, and specifically solar is I look at what Georgia's done with the solar industry. Um, most, if not, I think it's a little over half, so I guess not most of the solar manufacturing investments That have been tracked recently are in Georgia. Um, Those have specifically those investments have specifically led to forty one thousand new jobs. So I think again that leads that leads us to the conclusion that when you let the states do what they do best, they will succeed. Um, When you have the federal government sticking to what they do best, everybody's happy. When you have people kind of getting in, mudding the waters, getting into very localized issues, you run into a lot of problems.
1: I agree on that. I I, I wholeheartedly believe that states can do a better job than the federal government. We typically say, you know, people in the city don't know what's happening out in the country, but they always want to control what's happening out in the country. Um, You guys mentioned this quite a... Yeah. (laughs) Um, You can see that in Austin for sure. Um, So what I see you guys have mentioned it a couple times and it's kind of an overarching theme for many conservatives is where do we get our energy? You know uh, there's drawbacks to everything on the wind farms. You have those, the fiberglass on those, on the, on the actual wings, those things get destroyed very fast. If you get any hurricanes or anything, you essentially have to deal with all that damage. And a lot of times you find that the wind farms are down more than they are up. And they're always constantly in maintenance. But then you have downsides of solar is like the most efficient solar panels are Tesla solar panels, and they're only 40% efficient. Now, again, we're not trying to downplay the fact that there's uses and there's benefits to every single one. But I think one that gets probably the worst rap out of all of them, and you guys mentioned a couple times, nuclear, right? What say you on nuclear? Because I'm a big proponent, and I think a lot of the right wing is. Because we keep on getting hit about coal, fossil fuels, and here we have something that's cheap, clean, and easy to do. We're, you know, Why are we pushing for it?
2: Yeah, um, I think you definitely have a great point there. Nuclear is a very interesting topic to me. Um, there's a lot of different nuances, as I'm sure you guys know. But the funny thing about nuclear that I've learned is that there's a lot of misconceptions about nuclear. I think one of the best things we can do as conservatives is inform our our people, our base, that nuclear is a great option for our energy future. Um, As we've mentioned, we do a lot of work on college campuses. And I think it was maybe this time last year, I was at a, a college campus in Kentucky. And I mentioned, oh, we're supportive of nuclear energy. I think we had a little sticker that talked about nuclear energy being clean energy. And she asked me, Oh, did I get know-
1: one of those stickers you guys?
2: Yeah. Um, we've got plenty. Um, she had she came up to me and she's like, But have you not watched like Chernobyl, the documentary on Hulu? And I said,
1: You shows the media how they influence influences mine.
2: Yeah, I was like, Well. That's that's not really the point of the documentary, um, but the, the bigger picture there is like that is is the outdated view of nuclear. The reality is that nuclear today is safe. It's reliable. And um, the reason why we don't have more of it is because of over regulations. And it's a great option for securing your energy future. At the end of the day, I think we wholeheartedly agree at ACC that American energy is clean energy, and we need to do everything we can to secure our energy future here at home. Um, we've got the opportunity to do that with all of our different energy approaches, but specifically with nuclear. And as we've mentioned, we've seen states make record-breaking investments in this, this upcoming industry, because I do think it's our future. I think we've, we've got the opportunity here um and it's a pretty big opportunity that we don't need to miss
1: absolutely zach i I would love to ask you this question outside of just how important nuclear is do you know of any new kind of energies that are coming down the pipe or any kind of innovations that are coming through that you guys might know you know inside track on or something that a lot of conservatives may not know about
0: once that i can point to and uh I love talking about nuclear because it is one of those arenas to where there is advancement advancement and innovation that's coming down the line that we could really take advantage of. Um, particularly with nuclear, uh, if we can start off, there is small small modular reactor technology, right? When people uh, kind of picture the idea of a nuclear power plant, we have those two big cooling towers would be yeah. hot coming out and people wrong, to Lily's point the misconception around this issue, people wrong they can go for emissions, but really that's just vapor from the water that's used to cool the nuclear power plant. Advancement at SMR tech, small modular reactor tech, the really nice thing is it's something that doesn't require as much infrastructure to take advantage of the power of nuclear, something that can be mobile. So we, uh, I take Texas and some of the uh, issues that we've seen related to climate Uh, for example, whether it was the winter freeze of 2021 or Hurricane Harvey in 2016 and natural disaster situations like those, you can actually transport this technology and get immediate clean power to the areas that need it right away. Um, In other fields, it's really just the cleaning up and advancement of existing technologies. The really nice thing is being in America with people constantly innovating and finding ways to improve something, but also reduce the cost of it you see natural gas plants that have carbon capture technology attached to them. So natural gas is a really good dispatchable source of energy that can, you know, that we can control the fuel sources up or ramp up or ramp down. We're able to take advantage of that and do it in a cleaner way Um, with solar and wind, you know, the complaints that you kind of pointed out to earlier as we advance and as we do it better, as we actually start to produce that technology here, instead of importing it from the China or other markets, we're able to kind of improve it in a way. Uh, with solar in particular, we're able to attach battery storage technology to it. So if you want to kind of have your own microgrid at your house where you have solar panels on top of your roof and you're able to store that energy for it to use it at night, because we know solar doesn't work overnight, you're able to do that. Um, you know, if, if you kind of want to get away from uh larger population areas and do kind of your own things on your own land and kind of be be away from others you're able to do that with uh, uh solar uh energy storage technology so those are just a couple of examples of where we're seeing advancements and really good opportunities and different type of energy sources that that could do well for America but you know going back to the start of this SARS conversation I think that energy security is going to be a very critical thing that we need to prioritize because we know energy security is national security and uh, if we take the right approach here, uh, the approach that ACC is advocating for, we're, we we have the ability to make sure that we are secure in our energy future, but we're also doing good on the environment by take, taking advantage of these many, many sources of innovative technologies in which uh, we can get our power from. So I, I, I hope that answers your question. Uh,
1: no, it did. It. It's right on exactly where I needed to be. I appreciate it. Um, so, this is a cool little fun one that I like to do. Um, I'm a big car nut. I love vehicles. I'm just a motor guy. It's it's my thing. The big push with environmentalism, and we typically see this in the left's arguments, is is usually on the the emissions from our cars. If I'm not mistaken, we're like one of the top uh, vehicular uh, polluters, I guess that's the right word to say. And of our pollution in the United States, like 27% to a third, depending on who you, you know listen to, is pollution from our cars. Now, the United States has a very interesting problem, which is we're massive. And we as Americans love our freedom. The uh, European model, which everything is conglomerated, in one little spot, everything is city. You, know, you can use your public transport and whatnot. Um, we're getting regulated heavily on our cars here. Uh, the American government has done one good thing, which I will give them, is since the 80s, I think we've, or 90s even, we've cut our carbon footprint down by like 50%, right? And we see the new innovations with EVs, but what we tend to find is these new innovations also bring in other countries. that means our country can do as much as we want. We can cut down and be as clean as we want. Everyone can go ride bicycles, walk to work it's not possible for us. It's too large. It, it, the scope isn't there. But when we bring all these other countries in, the pollution of these new innovations follows them. So when you have these EVs, the lithium-ion batteries, you know, you get all the uh, mining in Africa, and then it gets shipped to China to be fixed, and then it gets sent to Korea to, to be actually like put together and coded. Then it gets shipped to the United States to be assembled, and then it gets to where it needs to go. And by that point, the EV is essentially carbon-positive. It hasn't. It doesn't have any negative point. So, when it comes to the motor side of it, the, the the vehicular side of it, how do Americans adapt, or where should Americans really care about that? Because gas is four bucks a gallon. You know. Yeah. How, where do we go? Because that's one of the most important things of American culture.
2: Yeah, um, I'll start and then kind of let Zach fill in some of the pieces. I think you've got a really great point about the cars and then our freedom. I actually was watching um, a very old British 1900 show. They just, one of the, the nurses, the midwives just had a car and she talked about, well, freedom to me is the ability to take my car out to the countryside with a picnic and, um, and I thought that was a, a really good image of, of what it means to have a car actually in America today. Um, and I, I just really liked that, that example of, of what freedom was. And that was in the early the early days where cars it had just became um, a thing for them over there. Um, but, but the biggest thing we should look at when we're talking about electric vehicles and in that production and all of the different pieces that, that go into it, we need to look at what we can do here in the United States. Um, you make a great point about um, the, the mining that's happening in, in Africa. And there actually was a video that went around maybe a few months ago, got really popular, and it it showed the horrible conditions that um, these Africans were going through when it comes to the production and, and the mining over, over there. And actually, it's a human rights issue. I think it goes yep. into a larger picture where we're talking about human rights violations um, a lot of the times. We have the ability as Americans to to produce here. Um, we need companies to step up to the plate. And I think we we do have companies that are willing and are trying to do this. We've got companies that need to look at the critical minerals and the resources we have here in the United States first. Because when we keep outsourcing our, our car parts, um, mm. I think we're going to see... Like we were talking about the issues we're facing with the carbon positive um, production, I believe um, I'm. I could be very wrong. I believe there was a, a company up in Utah that that talked about um, critical mining and how they can do it up in Utah, but they're facing overregulation and permitting issues from the government. Um, and so that that's a bigger bigger issue than just capitalism itself, because we've got companies mm-hmm. that want to do it. Um, I I think there's plenty of them that would would take up on this opportunity, and I think it could be a really good thing for our economy. But the reality is that we've got to figure out our permitting issues and um, look at our our regulations so that we're able to do that here in the United States.
0: Absolutely. Um, And Lily, you're correct there about the company in Utah that's trying to do that. Uh, I, I'm glad this is something that we're talking about because the transportation accounts for some close to 34% of the carbon emissions that the United States uh, overall emits. So this is a a big part of the both you know the cost of living debate, but also the climate debate. Right. And Lily had a good point on it. You know, if, if we kind of take this on as an opportunity for us to actually start winning and leading on this issue, and it very much starts with we call onshoring our critical mineral extraction process it's something that we advocate for in ACT's, the climate commitment, which is kind of our our answer to the Green New Deal and what the left talks about when it comes to this issue. It's it's, a, it's actually a place of opportunity for us. And you know, you talked about electric vehicles. Tesla is a, Tesla is a really great story, right? Um, the kind of the, the basic tech around electric vehicles has been around for quite a while. Like you know, we've seen kind of test models going back to the 90s. But what made Tesla successful and work outside of the small government investment in certain uh, tax credits that it got was they, they innovated and they found a way to actually make it work, one, in a stylish, very fashionable, good way that consumers would want out of a vehicle, but two, in a way where the tech actually works and you're able to drive long distance of time and there's actually charging stations that are available for consumers. So that, that part of it really made Electric vehicles take off. And that was one company kind of taking an approach of like, how do we actually meet the consumer demand and provide something to the market that people are going to want? Now, to your point about the emissions that come from the stations of the batteries around this, I think one good thing that we can do again is go back to making sure that we do it here in America in a clean, very well taken care of way and uh, leading there. and another part of it is, you know, transportation doesn't strictly have to come from cars. You, you kind of point this out earlier about how America is such a car-heavy um, country as compared to other places. I think one thing that we can look forward to down the line as we kind of build some of our newer cities or newer developments is, you know, explore other venues of transportation. Clean, good, well-funded public transportation, whether it be, you know, metros and Larger metropolitan areas, or something that I'm actually excited for here in Texas is high-speed rail um, uh, between big population centers. You know, that's kind of one way of providing clean, reliable transportation to the public and helping the economy grow as we go without kind of having to invest in uh, more cars as we've done in the past. Um, so I think that, you know I, I take that as an opportunity for us to lead and compete with our other countries and show them a viable way for us to do good both on the climate and meeting kind of a public good that the public needs for the the future. So uh, that's kind of my take there.
2: Yeah.
1: It's it's good. Um, One of the, sorry, Lily, go ahead. uh,
2: Oh, no, I was just going to just say that I am in a complete agreement that maybe some of our larger cities need to look at their public transportation, what they're doing. Here in Nashville, we have a terrible public transportation system. Everybody knows it. It's not a secret. Um, and it's really unfortunate because you are forced to rely on a car, whereas some people might could benefit from from having a, a better public transportation system. The money is already being poured into this public transportation sector. So why are we not doing it effectively and efficiently?
1: Uh, I can definitely say the main reason that is bureaucracy and red tape. It's, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we, it's, it's always the answer. Why yeah. can't we do this? bureaucracy red tape That's yeah always the answer and one of the things that I would like to add on to your point there Zach um, because when this is I work in logistics so for me this is my this is my wheelhouse yeah what, what we tend to find is the car market isn't just the car market it's also the trucking market so Tucker Carlson came out with something and he, I think he made a good point of it um, they're trying to test uh, driverless trucks and so they can run them in convoys they're more aerodynamic all this and i uh, i can't remember who was interviewing him it might have been hannity i, I can't remember but it was
0: it basically i think um, i know what you're remembering it. it was ben shapiro and the Central uh, was making the point that uh you know the the economic impact of like you know replacing such a lot of our male population that you know that drives these trucks and that makes a living off of it is, uh, it is quite large but continue to
1: that's exactly where I was at it, and you know, you're gonna it essentially remove like 20 million jobs from the market or more. You know, right now we have an 80,000 dri- 80,000 or 80,000 driver shortage. We don't even have enough drivers to keep going what we have. So the way I look at it is, it's got to be holistic. I don't think that we should be removing any of these drivers from the market, but we can innovate to say where, where, in ports, for example. Some of these ports, you know, they're not talking about far drives. You can load a truck, get the the robot truck to bring it in and out, and then those drivers can start doing long haul. Or they still have the option for the the normal drivers. I think there's ways to move it in. But the innovation can't take over what is necessary for the United States. And I think that's where we really need to focus. When you're looking at high-speed rail, two things happen. High-speed rail. We've been waiting for this in Tampa, Orlando for like 30 years. It's never gonna happen. We're we're losing our minds about it. Yeah. And they're thinking, well, where are we gonna put it? Right down the freaking freeway. Right down I-4. You just, it literally is one straight line. Go right down the middle. Yeah. But because government's involved, we can try and get this set for private companies to come and build it. Private companies to come and do it, and, and you know, try and make their money and try and keep it cheaper. But as long as the government is involved the high speed rail or the long railroad tracks that would typically handle a lot more cargo than our typical semi truck, they get essentially monopolized or regulated down by the government where we can't make anything happen. Um, if you look at most of the railroads in in the United States, they're owned by like five companies.
2: Yeah. So
0: go ahead. I was going to say, like, this is why we keep hitting the nail on the head of, like, conservative needing to get engaged almost because, to your point, yeah, these industries are over-regulated and some innovative technologies that could really help the United States. Things that we've seen work in Europe and in in Japan and China for decades. Like nuclear.
2: Yeah. (laughs)
0: Like nuclear, but high-speed rail. Um, it, it's just one of them, and like if if we engage and talk about this and kind of tell the greater public about like why we don't have these goods and why government kind of regulation, what, whether it's well intended or not, is getting in the way, I think we can. Win. Um, and then just one last example on the high speed rail, like you know California, about ten years ago, kind of you know trumpets blaring, really made this announcement that like California is going to show the country that high speed rail can work here in the United States. We're going to fund it properly. We're going to put government resources behind it. We're going to get this project going. And as you guys can probably guess, that project never happened because, you know, <laughs> the regulation costs or, you know, just things going well over intended budget. And what I'm hoping is Texas, a conservative state that that prides itself on a re- low regulatory environment can show the country that like high speed rail can work and kind of go with them of like let the free market do it, let the investment come in and let these people build it out without the government getting them in the way. And this is why we really like Conservatives need, really need to get engaged on these issues.
1: it. so I'm gonna take this high note and maybe bring it down a little bit, right? So the right always will find a way, and this is where maybe the inaction comes from or the opinion of inaction comes from the GOP. The right finds proof, whether it be their proof or whatever, the left finds their proof would typically find their proof from big agencies, a lot of european agencies and there's a lot of disingenuous practice on where the people get their numbers. So, what a lot of americans feel like and a lot of conservatives feel like is humans aren't having as much of the effect as everyone is claiming they do. And as americans, like i said we've stated, we've done amazing jobs in cutting down our carbon footprint down like 50%. We're we're leading a lot of the uh, new innovations when it comes to environmentalism. And that can, is a right or right, not a right or left issue. We're just doing that. America brings more innovation and science than any other country in the world. So, what a lot of Americans tend to find having an issue is why should we push for more environmentalism? Why should we regulate more? Why should we go ahead and do this in India, Pakistan, China, Indonesia? They're all polluting at 3,000, 4,000% more than us. So, that if even, you know, I don't know if you guys ever watched the movie uh, Click, where he like pauses everything. We could pause ourselves for 20 years. We should, Western world doesn't exist for 20 years. Not a lot would change because they're polluting at such a high extent. How do you get Americans to care about this when the rest of the world is, we're cleaning up their trash?
0: I couldn't start on this if uh, Lillian they can, pro- really can provide a more points on this, but I think it's, it's about how we view it as. Um, because we've let the left lead on this conversation we think of climate action as something that's going to restrict our economy that's going to require us to give up certain freedoms and certain rights and and our ability to do certain things and that's just the wrong way uh that's just the wrong way of thinking and something that is working to change but we see this as an opportunity to lead the world both diplomatically but uh, also on in in a way of leading in a new uh, economic opportunity, there's a way for us to win on this while also growing our economy and, you know, low in the cost of living for people. Um, think of clean energy technology to begin with. Currently, solar panels and wind turbines to an extent are made in China. If we kind of give it the focus that is required and say we want to onshore this industry and you know, do it in a way for us to export it to markets and meet places that, that have a demand for clean energy technology that's one industry that we can lead in. Uh, another one is American energy uh, production, natural gas, for instance. you know, That's one place where we actually have really good leadership in, uh, when it comes to producing it cleanly and it's helped us re- reduce our emissions over the last 10 years. Now, if we had the ability to extract American natural gas, turn it into liquid natural gas, LNG, and get it to markets that really need it, like Europe and parts of Africa, parts of South America, places that are not happy about getting it from the Middle East or the Chinese of the world, that's an opportunity for us to do good on the environment, but also lead economically and really win and create jobs. So it's really just about how we approach it. And I think, like everything else, and like how we started this conversation, a conservative perspective on, a conservative perspective on this, where we take the, the, the power of the free market and our ability to make money off of certain things, I, I think it's really a, a winning proposition for us. And yeah. Little if you want to add to that.
2: Yeah, I think that you you really hit a lot of the points there. One of the things, um, and, and the I guess the reality is that unfortunately with every decision, there there might be trade-offs, there might be things we have to to give up. But um, I think that we've got a generalized approach that allows us to not um, give up that much. Um and I do think that the idea that we can lead the idea that Americans can lead this clean energy market we can lead the new age of environmentalism is a really important issue and when we talk about the greater population we've we've spent a lot of time tonight talking about young people because we we know that young people care we have the statistics that young people care so that's kind of out of the equation. And when we look at the greater, the greater good, the greater whole of the the country, I think we've got an opportunity to educate and encourage them and and share the perspective that this does not have to be your number one issue. In fact, some days it's it doesn't feel like it's my number one issue, um, especially in today's economy where I go to the grocery and, you know, inflation has has made my grocery bill sometimes double. Um, so we're going to kind of bring it down a notch and address the fact that this does not have to be the 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 one one issue that that you focus on but i think we can allow people to let it be in their top 5 or top 10 i think we can encourage people beyond the younger generation that hey we've got a different approach for this you should care about this because we as americans have the right approach and we have the ability and opportunity to lead the nation and i think when we frame it that way we might see see more people that are understanding, that are open to the the ideas we're talking about.
1: And I think what the main overarching theme here is kind of a nationalistic approach on everything. Energy affects everything, bringing everything to our our states. You know, you know, we're reducing everything down. We're so global, we're so national. If we just bring things down, it makes it simplistic. It makes it easy to understand, and it makes people not really have to fight about it because like you said this isn't a right left issue i will say though and it's still tough because i'm really hard against the you know the tree hugging greenpeace type because they've they've hijacked the whole conversation and innovation is so important here but americans as much as they may care or even have it in the top 10 how do we combat other nations polluting because regardless of how good we do and how regardless how innovative we become if the other countries don't follow it it doesn't matter you look at china i think it's like every couple weeks or every two weeks they got three more coal plants in the country if you look at um pakistan in india they're they're polluting their own waters you know with canning uh i think just the standard construction they don't care about environment they're a developing country with massive amounts of poverty they don't care about whether or not that coke bottle goes in the water yeah they need to get to get to their water upstream and toss it in it's going away from away from me not my problem and that's where you see uh, what is it the pacific plastic mass or something like that I, i can't remember what it's called something like that that's like not even a percentage point is coming from the north america or even even uh the western side of uh south america it's all coming from asia so how do we get to a position where i mean we can't strong arm them in overall and everything but environmental this is where we use the government where maybe we strong arm them in tariffs or hey if you don't clean up your act at the un or wherever we go how do we get them on board because as far as i'm concerned i'm not going to care until they care
0: That's a good point. And I think uh, it really does go back to leadership and our ability to do it better here and set an example for others abroad, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I think China's the perfect example there. I mean, why is China building these coal plants every two weeks? Uh, It's not just to kind of sustain the energy demand that their population needs, it's to meet the manufacturing demand that so much Mm -hmm. of the world depends on China for, right? So in the long term, if we take the approach again, on a lot of these critical industries, doing it here, doing it cleaner and showing other countries who might be currently depending on China and showing them that the United States can lead on this and the United States can be defended on this, it will kind of create a market incentive for China, one, to stop leaning that way, but two, also force them because the way things are currently, a lot of the world, knowing China has a bad record on the environment, still has to go to China for construction of a lot of goods that we import from China. but also again to get back to the point of some of the clean energy technology that we import from china some of the solar panels that uh, a good amount of the world is demanding or some of the wind turbines that a good amount of the world is demanding if we if we can get those industries built here and if we can trade with partners that traditionally would depend on china that i think that market force uh can do a lot to, to Kind of get them to head in the right direction i think in the long term their people might demand it as well too because i mean i think america having clean air in our cities and clean water is that's generally good whether china is doing it or not yeah, yeah. i think it's generally good yeah <laughs> yeah that's generally good right so like on some things it's just you know whatever china or india does though so it is important that they're in fact uh, global emissions. It's it's good for us to do it anyways. And in the long term, you know, even their population is going to start to demand these things out of their governments, where uh, they see cities covered in so much smog and so much you know dirty emissions that it's you're unable to breathe. And if if we can show that there is a way to do it here in the United States, to where it's not expensive to do it, that like you know the free market is meeting up and around, like that 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 the innovation and the technology has developed enough to to do it in a way where it's fairly up a cost to the public. You know, I think other countries will follow suit, and that's how we've done it in the past with many other different industries. I think that's how we can do it with, um, uh, with you know, leading on the issue of the department. And another point, I think, you no, know, we, we've forgotten, but diplomacy can play a, a very strong role on the global stage. You know, again, if, if, if you industry, have the leadership
1: to push it, if you yeah, have the leadership yeah. that will actually can do it. Yeah
0: yeah and that's that's a good point a leadership in a way where you're leading by example instead of going to countries and saying like hey you haven't gone through the industrial revolution yet you haven't had the wealth that comes from industrialization you could skip that and go straight to uh uh like if, if we're leading by example and showing things that actually work instead of nudging countries in a way in something that might not work for them I, I think that approach can do can do uh, really good and nudging the like India, of the world to Back better on this issue. But I, I, I think that I think that's something that could possibly work for us and something that we should be pursuing. In. That's
1: a great point. Louise, do you want to add anything to that?
2: I think Zach covered most of it, but I, I did really resonate with the idea. I think you were talking maybe about India. And um, there's a really harsh reality with all of this, because when we look at some of those countries that have horrible poverty levels, are the the harsh reality is that they're just like we've got to we've got to find ways to provide for our people. the The last thing we care about is the emissions of it. Um, when right. you've got a family that can't feed themselves, that are that are cold, that you know, starve to death, that's not number one on their agenda. In fact, it's probably not number ten. It's probably really, really down the list. Um, probably
1: doesn't even exist for some of them.
2: Yeah. So, um I think that when we talk about the idea of, of businesses and and how they can use the the capitalism side of things and how they can innovate, um, maybe some of those businesses and I think there's probably some that are already doing this can start to think about other countries and and what maybe what we're doing here, how they can replicate it in other areas to solve some of these larger humanitarian issues.
1: good avenue it's a good way to think about it all right. Um, I think there's – I'm going to have a shameless plug here for me. Um, I was talking with uh, Joe from Texas. He actually spoke at the uh, YRNC. Um, So while actually I think while you and me were talking um, outside that, he was speaking as well. And uh, we had a good conversation, and one of the main things he spoke about was bringing the manufacturing back home. Everything needs to come back home. I think the over the, again that's the overarching theme of everything. If we can, as Americans, bring everything back to us and become the focal point again, become the manufacturing powerhouse of the world that we were in World War II and after, I, I think we can start creating more change and actually affecting more people for the better. I think we can lead Europe. I think that Europe actually looks to us in a lot of ways and just kind of goes and does it on their own because a lot of times we're too regulated. Europe has less regulation on, on on environmental stuff than we do in a lot of ways. I mean, the perfect example of this is taking a gallon of gas from Britain, taking a gallon of gas from the United States, you put them in the same car, you'll get like a 5% or not a 5%, a 5 horsepower jump in the British car than you will the American car because we have so many detergents, we have so many additives that clean that and burn hotter so it clears that the, the emissions out. We're so much more stringent. But a lot of times that holds us back, especially when it comes to nuclear. We don't just let it build. You know, you look, I think France, Belgium and Switzerland all have nuclear power, if I'm not mistaken.
0: They do.
1: Yeah. Why is like not half the country filled with at least one nuclear power plant? You know, they not like yeah. taking miles and miles of, of, of space. Um, parking lots This is one cool little thing that I swear to God, one day I will innovate and in trademark. <laughs> I'm going to do it. If you look at a Walmart parking lot, there's more parking lot than Walmart, always. So solar there, in my opinion, is great. You can power the grid, you can power the Walmart, you can privatize it. There's certain avenues and certain ways you can make it happen. But I think it has to happen here. If it doesn't happen here, it does not matter because no one will care because in a lot of ways, the Patriotism of, hey, it's made in the USA, or hey, we're driving it. If we're not driving it, no one's gonna wanna pay attention. Yeah. Um, now, in my little shameless plug, do you guys have anything that, you know, you guys want to talk about any events that are coming up, any kind of big news breaks, you know, anything like that, that you guys want our viewers or anybody else in, in the world to know? Um,
2: I'll start a really exciting thing for you guys down in Florida is that we've got a um, Florida state director starting this week. Her name is Danielle Lindsay. She's amazing. She's actually been an ACC member for a little over a year. So she's a member now turned employee, and we're really excited about that. All that to say, um, it's a great opportunity for new people to get involved as she joins. Um, we've got-
1: I believe the- she's- a central florida young republican actually I think she just, she's just yeah. joined, we just met her yeah
2: yeah so she's like i said she's amazing she'll do awesome in this role one of the things that she'll be working on is um some of the grassroots recruitment just getting new people to to join to sign up to get plugged into our community but another thing she'll be working on is starting branches throughout florida so that can be at universities, but we're also working on young professional-oriented branches. Um, we are working on one for Central Florida, the Orlando area, right now. Yep. Um, all that to say, that's something exciting coming up. It's a really great time to get involved with ACC, and um, we'll have somebody right there on the ground in the Orlando area that was will be a great resource for you guys in the state.
1: Love it. Yeah, no, yeah. it was great meeting her, and she, you know, she was really excited about starting that up and uh we spoke a little bit about trying to you know work with each other especially just using me in the central 40 and Republican. so mm-hmm. that's good Zach you got anything cool coming up man
0: absolutely so I want to uh plug one thing that ACC has is currently working on but has been working on for a good while now and then I'll I'll end this up on I'll end this on a really hopeful note about nuclear energy which I think we all can appreciate there so the thing I want to plug is the climate commitment I did mention it earlier. It is ACC's answer, the conservative answer to what we believe is going to solve the climate change and meet some of the climate goals that America has, right? You know, often enough as conservatives, I think under you'd agree, like we, we love kind of poking holes in bad ideas just because there's, there's so many bad ideas that come out of the left and the Green New Deal is one of them, right? And, yep. Younger Americans want something that's hopeful, cool, something that's actually planned, instead of us constantly saying like, "Hey, that that thing that the other side is talking about doesn't work." So we came up with the Climate Commitment. It's kind of a a mix of market market-based solutions, natural climate solutions, and limited government action on the issue of climate change. Is something that can really win for us as conservatives, as young Republicans, on the issue of climate change. And you know, your uh, listeners can check it out at theclimatecommitment.com. And you can also hear a little more about her at acc.ito. Uh And then the other point I was going to speak to is the really nice thing about nuclear energy, and this is something that I'm proud of because I believe ACC has a part, has a part, played a part in this. Is we're actually seeing a three-decade high in approval for nuclear energy in the United States. Uh, a few research poll that came out about about a month and a half back showed that nuclear energy has a 59% approval. Um, here in the United States among all age groups. So that's that's really nice to see. And as I mentioned, I think about a midway through this podcast interview, we talked about small modular reactor technology. Texas actually just got approval for a test reactor facility uh, down along the Gulf Coast. And we're hoping that this is going to be an instance where we can show that it can work in powering a certain neighborhood or a certain area on part of Texas and in the long term we can actually implement this technology all around the country so it's it's a good hopeful note nuclear energy is making a comeback and it's because of the work of young republicans who talk about this about uh, the work of acc and all our grassroots members who've worked and advocated for this and many of the other partner organizations that talk about it so i hope that's a good note that your listeners can kind of take from this and uh, we're hoping See uh, more and more nuclear play a larger role in our lives down the line, and something that I'm uh, just really happy to see.
1: I love it, man. That's some great info to have. Um, kind of glad to hear that. You know, a lot of times we don't hear what's going on in the background, and you know, it's good to have an inside track. Guys, I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate giving me the time. Um, if you guys are ever looking to connect with the Polk County Young Republicans or connect with Florida help, we can, uh, or Florida YRs or any other state YRs, definitely reach out to us. We'd love to help you guys out. Um, It's good. You guys are creating something new. You know, you're taking back a piece of uh, legislation, policy, conversation topics, that you know, was always held by the left. And, you know, you're bringing it back to the middle, or at least, you know, we can come to the table. And that's exciting. Uh, I I applaud you guys for that and love to continue having conversations with you guys. Um, For everybody else. This is the uh, Red Print Podcast brought to you by the Polk County Young Republicans. Thank you very much, and uh, have yourself a wonderful evening. This episode of the Red Print Podcast is proudly sponsored by Boreham Fire Protection, safeguarding what matters most to you and your family. Borum Fire Protection. Call now.